Welcome to Palmdale United Methodist Church's podcast for Sunday, January 24th, 2021. May God use this as a blessing to you today. Let us pray. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, you who are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, this uh, past week, there was some sad news coming out of Anaheim, California. Disneyland announced that they are ending their long-standing annual pass program. Now, Jody and I first got our annual passes during Labor Day weekend of 2015, a mere two months after moving from Hawaii to California. And I stayed an annual pass holder for four years, right through the end of 2019. Over the course of that time, I would drive down once or twice a month or so to visit the parks. It was a way of recharging my creative batteries and fueling my childlike wonder as Jesus encouraged, you know, I was doing what Jesus said, right? Uh, From riding my favorite rides like Splash Mountain or the Matterhorn bobsleds to watching amazing shows like Aladdin at the Hyperion Theater or the fabulous World of Color water show to the many parades that they've had over the four years. Paint the Night was my absolute favorite. And delicious food, I would always uh, grab a Mickey beignet and a mint julep. And uh, I know we're all going to be able to go back at some point when it's safe to do so. Anyway, I was thinking this week a lot about one particular ride, Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, There's a lot of skeletons in that ride. Um, You know, right when you make those first two drops and you see a number of pirates uh, that, well, I I think they've been there for quite some time. I I always wondered what their clothing was made of. The, The clothing stayed, but their skin and internal organs had just rotted away. I guess they don't make clothes like they used to now, huh? Built in 1967, Pirates was the last ride that Walt himself supervised the creation of. The ride cost $15 million at the time, which would be equivalent to $106 million in today's economy. Walt loved the fact that guests could uh, ride the, the ride over and over again and see something new each time because there was so much to take in. Uh, cheers to that concept. Originally, the design team was unhappy with how their skeletons had looked, so they reached out to the UCLA Medical Center and, uh, shall we say, procured a few real-life skeletons for the ride. Over time, uh, so the story goes, each of those skeletons were replaced with manufactured skeletons once the technology improved to make them look, shall we say, lifelike. Now, why am I telling you this? Because today we'll be looking at bones in this second edition of our first sermon series here in the year 2021, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made. The series takes a look at our human anatomy and searches for connections to God's truth about not only how we were created, but how God calls us to live with one another as the body of Christ. Well, we began the series Last week, looking at cells and how our body wonderfully resembles what Paul calls the body of Christ. Today, we get to tackle the subject of bones. And I owe much of my research and inspiration to the revised edition of Fearfully and Wonderfully Made by Dr. Paul Brand and Philip Yancey. 
Early on in the chapter of Bones, uh, Dr. Brand recalls hearing a a lecture by the anthropologist Margaret Mead. Uh, She had studied primitive cultures, and she was asked a question during that lecture about what was the, the earliest sign of human civilization. Not human presence, but actual true civilization. Now, she suggested a couple of answers, a clay pot, maybe iron, tools, agriculture. No, for her, the first sign of true civilization was a healed femur, a leg bone. Mead explained that such healings were never found in the remains of competitive, savage societies. There, clues of violence abounded, right? Ribs pierced by arrows, skulls crushed by clubs. But, but the healed femur, well, that shows that someone had to have cared for the injured person so that they had time to actually heal. Someone would have had to hunt on his or her behalf, brought them food, served at personal sacrifice, Savage societies could not afford such pity. Bones. They are one of the most amazing gifts that God has blessed us with in our bodies. Did you know that when we're born, each of us has approximately 350 bones? And then over the course of our childhood and adolescence, many of those bones fuse together, leaving the 206 bones that most of us adults carry around for the rest of our lives. Now, despite the fact that we have 206 bones, they only uh, comprise on average one-fifth of our total body weight. They're, uh, only, they're the only hard material that we have in our bodies. Bones, nevertheless, uh, possess incredible strength, enough to protect and support every other cell in our body. In comparison, wood can withstand even less pulling tension than bone and cannot possibly bear bear the compression forces that bone can. Steel, well, that can absorb both the tension and the compression, but that's three times the weight of our bones. If our bones were made of steel, we would barely be able to move around because it would be so heavy. You see, God made an architecturally brilliant design by taking these stress-bearing bones and hollowing them out. It's a weight-saving principle that it took humans thousands of years to discover on their own. The vacant space in the center of our bones are filled with an efficient red blood cell factory that turns out trillions of new cells every day. Bone sheaths life. Now, unfortunately, when most of us think about bones, we think more along these lines right? We don't think about life. We think about death, dried and lifeless. But the fact is, bones are neither dried up nor lifeless. They are moist. They're supplied with both blood and lymph vessels as well as nerves. Bones are every much an organ in our body as our heart and our brain are. A surgeon will tell you that when you cut bone, it bleeds. And wonder of wonders, when a bone breaks it actually starts to heal itself. Excited repair cells called osteoblasts invade a broken bone in a swarm. Uh, Dr. Brand calls them the, uh, the pothole fillers of the bone. And in two or three months, uh, the fracture site is marked by a mass of new bone that bulges over both sides of the broken ends like a spliced garden hose. Later, the surplus material is scavenged uh, and eroded so that the final result nearly matches the original bone. 
That's the bone's natural healing cycle. Now, of course, with modern medicine, we can expedite the process a bit more quickly, but know that bone is alive. It spends its day changing, flowing, correcting, shifting. Dr. Brand says it's every much like a river as well as solid rock. When we're young, 100% of our bones in our body is replaced every year. Thanks to the wisdom of bones' DNA, the shape stays the same. They just get bigger as we grow. As adults, well, that drops down to just about 18% of our bone gets replaced every year. But bone does not surrender its territory easily. It must be dynamited and vacuumed out. And for this uh, job, the body calls on a demolition team of oversized cells known as osteoclasts. These overzealous cells uh, lead, as Dr. Brand puts it, a kamikaze life. They bore through bone with such passion that they die out after just 48 hours and they're uh, excreted away or escorted away as waste. The osteoclasts scavenge every bit of bone, one cell at a time, and they tunnel through bone as easily as, well, shall we say, moles tunnel through a lawn. Shout out to today's children's time right there. They open up holes for the osteoblast to come in and fill, and the blasts then deposit a new supply of healthy fiber. Over time, as we age, the osteoclasts outperform the osteoblasts, and new bone is much harder to come by. That's why fractures create such trauma for our elderly. Their blasts, barely able to keep up with the rigors of routine repair, heal their bones much, much more slowly. Which brings us to our scripture passage for today from the Old Testament book of uh, Ezekiel, chapter 37, uh, Ezekiel's Valley of Dry Bones. I invite you to open up your Bibles with me or take out your smartphones and open up your Bible app. And if you don't have a Bible app, but you have the church app, you can open up the church app and at the bottom, there's a Bible uh, on the homepage. You can scroll down to the Bible link and it will open it up to the chapter that we're reading each and every Sunday. We're beginning at verses 1 and 2. The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. Now, Ezekiel was a pretty radical prophet. He was constantly getting strange and amazing visions from God, and this was one of those visions, a symbolic rendition of an important spiritual truth that God wanted to teach him. This is an eerie walk through the debris of human failure, a valley strewn with bones everywhere. One of the most traumatic chapters of Israel's history was the Babylonian exile. In the 6th century BCE, the superpower of the region, Babylon, blew into Jerusalem and pretty much destroyed everything. They they burned the city, uh, they demolished the temple, the best and the brightest of the Israelites were carried away into captivity, where they would have to stay for close to 70 years before God began to bring them back home. Hebrew prophets Remark that God allowed this horrendous experience to happen because for generations the people had abandoned God's will for their lives. They had stopped listening to the Lord. The leaders repeatedly led them astray. Their society no longer resembled the vision that God had for them. 
In the aftermath, the people felt as though their souls and their spirits had been crushed, that all the passion and life that they had had been drained out of them. They were nothing but a a valley of dry bones remaining. And it's to this feeling of utter abandonment and spiritual rejection that Ezekiel's vision pertains. Verse 3. He said to me, mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. Disconnected from the body, bones no longer serve any useful purpose. God knows that, and yet God plans on changing this dreadful state. God wants to bring new life out of dried bones, something that God specializes in all the time. When Ezekiel is asked if he thinks if this is possible or not, he deftly lets God know, basically, God, that's your department. I uh, yield to your sovereignty. Verse 7 and 8. So I prophesied as I'd been commanded, and as I prophesied, suddenly there was this noise, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and and, and there were sinews upon them, and, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. So part one of the restoration process is in place. This is where the, uh, let me say, the foot bone gets connected to the leg bone. The leg bone gets connected to the knee bone. The knee bone gets connected to the thigh bone. You know how the song goes, right? And through the prophet's prophecy, the valley goes from a field of dry bones to an army of bodies. Dead bodies, uh, actually, but bodies nonetheless. Verses 9 and 10. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy mortal and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. I prophesied as he commanded me and the breath came into them and they lived. They stood on their feet a vast multitude. The Hebrew word for breath and wind and spirit are actually one and the same, ruach. God knows that the bones of a human body only have value when they support a living person. And so the breath of God, the ruach, is blown into these dead bodies and these newly reconstructed cadavers suddenly find life. Verse 11 and following. Then he said to me, mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, our bones are dried up. Our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. Here's where we get the contextualization of the Babylonian captivity. The bones represent the entire nation of Israel. They have lost their way. They had abandoned the life that God had called them to. They had forsaken the covenants that God had made with them. Their faith and their lives had been completely dried up. In Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, Dr. Brand likens the the skeletal structure of our bones to, well, the core beliefs 
of Christianity, right? Those core truths in scripture that never change, those beliefs that govern our relationship with God and with one another. It starts in the Old Testament with the Ten Commandments, of course, right? Rules that govern our relationship with God and our fellow human beings so that we might live a life uh, that, that lives to the fullest, that encourages and supports one another and gives our allegiance and loyalty where it's supposed to. Later, the prophet Micah told us what God requires of us to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. The game changer, however, came with Jesus, of course. And when someone asked Jesus what the greatest commandment of all the 613 commands that you find in the Hebrew Scriptures, what's the one that I need to know most of all, he asked. And Jesus said, you need to love God with everything you have, your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus added, love your neighbor as yourself. Love. Love, this is the key, says Dr. Brand. The Ten Commandments, he writes, represent the fetal development of bone, the first ossification from cartilage. The law of love, however, emerges as the fully developed liberating skeleton, hinged and jointed in the right places. It allows for smooth movement within the larger body. Over and over again, every week, we say here at Palmdale United Methodist Church that we are inspired by Jesus to love. And it's not just a catchy saying, it's something that we firmly believe to the very core of our being. It's the bones of this congregation, if you will, right? Love has to be the primary guiding principle for our lives and our faith. And the problem comes when we fail as God's people to live up to that calling. And, and of course, nobody is perfect. But whenever love ceases to be the primary guiding force in our lives, when, whenever we as Christians choose to make any other issue the litmus test of faith, whether it's right to life, immigration, the death penalty, the nation of Israel, uh, homelessness, anti-human trafficking, whatever it is, no matter how important those issues may be, if that becomes the sole focus of our faith, then we have missed the mark and a fracture occurs. We experience a break in our bones and, and we deal with the crisis that, that follows. If we allow these fractures to go unrepaired, eventually we will dry out no matter how good our intentions may have been. But some may ask, what, what about theology, Pastor Jim? What about doctrine, right? Do you know what caused Jesus's to dander to get riled up more than anything else? It wasn't sexual sins or, or violence or any of the other behaviors that modern day Christians seem to be upset, upset about. No, Dr. Brand notes that surprisingly, the people who most irritated Jesus were the equivalent of the Bible Belt fundamentalists of his day, the Pharisees. Their entire life's work was bent on obeying every single law of the Hebrew scriptures, no matter how trivial. These legalists, though, seeking to follow all of scripture according to Jesus, missed the very heart of scripture. They failed to see that God's grace was a gift freely given to people who don't deserve it. Dr. Brand likens legalism to the exoskeleton of a lobster, or any of the other in the crustacean family. 
Now, this is the external armor of a lobster, right? This is how they're protected, fishing notwithstanding, of course. And everyone knows that exoskeleton is there, right? We all see it. Well, in legalism, when we allow keeping the rules of Christianity to become the defining mark of our lives, it's as if we're putting on this exoskeleton. C.S. Lewis wrote, Nothing gives a more spuriously good conscience than keeping rules, even if there has been a total absence of real charity or love and faith. Legalism Actually, it limits our growth as Christians because it it forms this hard, crusty shell around us that cannot be uh, penetrated by anything else, especially by God's grace. But God didn't create us to be lobsters, friends. God gave us an internal skeleton, a body with bones, and sure, that means that our flesh can get hurt. We bruise and cut and bleed, but with love as the core of our being, with love for God and for others as that bony substance that holds our faith together, that we can then weather any storm that comes our way. Father Greg Boyle, in his book, Tattoos on the Heart, has a single sentence that speaks so loudly to this theme. He writes, The strategy of Jesus was not centered in taking the right stand on issues, but rather in standing in the right place with the outcast and with those relegated to the margins. Father Boyle is reminding us of what Jesus taught, that we show our love for God by by how we love others, how we relate to the people around us, especially the people that nobody else wants to relate to. Love God with everything you have, Jesus said, and your neighbor as yourself. And brothers and sisters, thanks be to God for the bones he has given us. I mean, quite literally for the bones that we have, but also for our spiritual bones, that core of our souls, a a life of faith that is rooted and grounded in the redeeming and sanctifying and forgiving love of Christ Jesus. And, And if you feel as though your bones, your spirit has been a little dry lately, if you've lost some of that passion and vibrancy for life and faith. And, and I tell you, this COVID-19 global pandemic has been extremely challenging. But if that's where you are right now, remember the message of Ezekiel 37, the song that the praise team sang. This, this is the sound of dry bones rattling, that God can bring new life to those areas of our life that seem dried up and dead. Healing and revival can come by the power of Christ Jesus. And yes, we may as human beings with flesh and blood be hurt along the way. We're not lobsters. We don't have that exoskeleton. But deep inside, friends, remember that life of love, that those bones bring life. They heal us. They, they, they correct us in ways we would never imagine. They are imbibed with the very Spirit of God, the Ruach. His life is cursing through our core, reminding us uh, of what is truly important in this life, that we are inspired by Jesus to love. And friends, that can be enough. May it be so now and always that we, as members of this 
faith community of Palmdale United Methodist Church be truly inspired by Jesus to love. Amen.